Hello, and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, a podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, along with me on this journey, revisiting 80s movies, is my co-host, Jason Masek. Hello, Jason. Bill, you and I, we know a couple of people that are personally responsible for the death of, what, 50,000 non-military personnel? Librarians, teachers, doctors, women, children, all dead. We've wiped out entire cultures, and for what? Not one CIA agent has ever been tried, much less accused of any crimes. You guys think you're above the law? Well, you ain't above mine. That's right, listeners. Today we'll be discussing, with spoilers aplenty, the 1988 action movie Above the Law. Starring Steven Seagal, Pam Greer, and Henry Silva. Directed by Andrew Davis, this movie is rated R with a running time of one hour and 39 minutes. So, what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. Chicago cop Nico Toscani is onto something big. Too big. Suspects collared in a recent drug raid are allowed to walk, and Nico himself is asked to turn in his badge. He's off the force, but not out of the action. Because Nico has a message for ex-CIA operatives trafficking drugs and plotting a political assassination. They think they're above the law, but they're not above his. Steven Seagal makes his sensational screen debut as Nico, smashing his way into the top ranks of contemporary action heroes. The tall, magnetic Seagal draws on his own experiences as a worldwide security expert and bodyguard to heads of state to give above the law the gut-level wallop of today's headlines. And he uses the whirlwind skills of his sixth-degree Aikido black belt mastery to deliver action that beats the daylights out of most on-screen brawls. The techniques, says Seagal, are exactly those that would be used in the situations we depict. Very simple. Very street, very lethal moves, and very Chicago. Director Andrew Davis, Code of Silence, unfurls an ever-changing backdrop of windy city locales as Nico and his partner Jax, Pam Greer, blast through the city like wind whipping across Lakeshore Drive. Action speaks louder than words, but action fans know there are a few words that say plenty. Eastwood, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Norris. And now Seagal, a one-man lethal weapon above the law. Yeah, so that was what's on the box. I am the law. Sweet baby Jesus, and that's all we have for you tonight. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we could just end the podcast right there. Uh, That was a mouthful. You were turning a little red there on some of those lines. Yeah, I, I, (laughs) I ran out of breath. I know. Because some of these damn sentences are run-ons. Oh, man, but they're great. I love that there's an actual quote from Steven Seagal in the blurb. Amazing. And on top of, yeah, they give Seagal background here. They they were doing our job for us here. They're giving a little facts and trivia within the what's on the box segment here for us. It's cracking me up because some of this I'm not even sure is true. In the blurb, it says draws Seagal draws on his own experiences as a worldwide security expert and bodyguard to heads of state. Yeah, we don't know. It's been rumors. I'm going to step on our facts and trivia right now off the off the Go ahead. bat. 
because that's the thing. It's so much in like the trivia that you look up, especially like on IMDb and Wikipedia, but especially IMDb, it just says according to sources or it's, let's just say it's questionable. Like a lot of it is rumored as to what, (laughs) what this guy's true background is. It's pretty funny. Anyway, I, I'm glad we're here, man. We're doing Above the Law. This is our first Steven Seagal film. Well, I guess technically this will be our only, only Steven yeah. Seagal. This is it. One and done for Steven. Yeah. His first three-word titled movie. One of many. Many, <laughs> many. We're going back to 1988, Bill Bant. You ready to get into this one? Yeah. Let's start with some earliest memories. What are earliest memories of Above the Law? Now I can't think of anything but breaking the law, breaking the law. You know what? I'm just going to say this again. I think I'm going to repeat this line that I began with in describing the birds. Once again, I do not have many, if any, memories of this film. And I'm starting to discover, Bill Bant, there's a very good reason for that. Okay. I have like, there's images or fight moves in this particular case. And then you watch the movie and you're like, oh, this is why I don't remember much from this film because- Let's be honest, I'm going to be honest, not a great deal of this movie as far as the plot or storyline is memorable. Some of the action sequences are, and the fight choreography, and of course, Seagal himself, the character or caricature or the persona that he embodies, right? Yeah, so I couldn't, for the life of me, remember what the freaking plot was for this movie. I was like, what? I know he's a cop. Well, that's kind of a easy guess. So of course, first foremost, the memory is Steven Seagal. For me, at this time, he was the new action star in the block and he had the new fighting style. I had never seen anything quite like it. He was tall, quick, smooth. He exuded the utmost confidence. He had those squinty eyes and the whispery voice that you know, said, I'm full of wisdom and I'm the strong silent type that'll kick your ass without barely moving a muscle. It was just the fact that he made it look effortless. It wasn't quite as flashy with the the big kicks a la Van Damme style. It was Aikido. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And that means using your opponent's momentum against him or her and using joint locks and throwing moves. And it was just a style of fighting I had personally hadn't seen in action films. And I wasn't like a big martial arts film aficionado. So I cannot say I was well-versed in the martial arts films of the time. I was just watching American uh, martial arts movies for the most part. And this was a time, Bill Band, and I'm sure you'll talk about this a little bit too. It's all about the big, the big guns, man, meaning Schwarzenegger and Stallone and Norris and he's like, it's all, we covered this in what's on the box. And those were the guys that I looked up to. I looked forward to every Friday night. I would go watch those movies in the theater. That's how much I adored these action stars growing up. And I had my friends in high school that we were kind of a little bit nerdy in that way. You know, we would, we just, that's, we looked forward to it. It didn't matter how cheesy the movie might be, but we just looked forward to the action. It was just good brainless action and good harmless fun at that time. And then here comes this guy out of nowhere. According to us, we didn't know who he was or where he came from. And he just kind of knocks it out of the park, you know, regarding at least the, the fight sequences. 
And it was just a, it was a real big surprise for me. I remember young Sharon Stone being this, of course, very attractive young lady. And I did not see this in the theater. I saw it on cable and then immediately began or became a fan of Seagal. And afterward, I believe I saw every film he had in the theater then after this one up to and including on deadly ground and following that i believe i saw executive uh, decision in the theater that was probably the last steven seagal movie i went to see in the movie theater so yeah but i can't stress enough how for us growing up in this time the action heroes were it. Those were the, the guys that we looked up to and we paid them big bucks to see or, or <laughs> for us high school kids or grade school kids, you know, with the little money that we had or allowance we had, we'd fork it over to go see him. And uh, he took over our lives there for a little bit here, just coming on strong at the, at the end of the 80s. So that's really what I got for earliest memories. How about you, Bill Ban? Got a lot more than I do. I <laughs> really... Don't remember much about this film at all. It was a rental. I totally bypassed it when it first came out. I think it wasn't until um, Hard to Kill came out. Yeah. And and everyone was raving about that one. Right. But I rented Hard to Kill, watched that, then went back and rented Above the Law. So I have not seen it since that time I rented it. So watching this movie was almost watching it for the first time. (laughs) I didn't remember Sharon Stone was in it. Mm -hmm. I barely remember anything about it. I wasn't a big um, Steven Seagal guy, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was more on Team Van Damme, to be honest. Oh, yeah. No, I hear you. So, yeah, this is interesting to go back and just, I mean, this is his film debut, just to kind of go back and see where all of this started. And uh, that's all I got, man. I got nothing. I couldn't even remember that trailer or the poster or anything this it was sure. it was all like watching this for the first time for me that's totally cool and you know i did watch this several times on cable because i just wanted to see the fight sequences over and over again and it just made me think of and i should probably save this for the questions segment but what makes a great action star now your definition may vary and it, it definitely varies from what our definition of an action star was as kids during this time period and and the specific genre of action films versus what it means today. Back then, we were looking for an action star that could not only fight, but at least somewhat act. And I put that in air quotes here. Yes. When we get Schwarzenegger, he's just a behemoth that is just rippling with the muscles. I mean, he's just, he's always glistening. He's just huge. He's just jacked. And we just weren't used to seeing that on the big screen all the time or somebody of his size with that muscle definition and the pure actual size of his muscles. And he just wasn't as if the fight choreography in his films were extremely complicated. It wasn't in that uh, intensive when it came to the actual choreography. He just walked around and with big guns and showed off his muscles. And that's all and he could punch people and you know throw them and things like that. And that was the extent of it. So like you mentioned, Jean-Claude Van Damme, JCVD, man, when he came around, it was a little bit more limber and he's doing the splits and he's doing those crazy kicks and just the extensions. And his form of martial arts was, that was fresh when he just burst onto the scene. But, you know, we were always looking for the next best thing. 
and we get Seagal. And I just remember, I think you and I have discussed this, even when Jeff Speakman comes out with the perfect weapon, yeah, right? That yes. was a thing. It's like, Ken Poe, Ken Poe is, the, man, that's the shit. What's this? What's this martial art? This guy's got some, he's so, he's so fast. And then we don't know, I don't know what Jeff Speakman's up to today, but. I don't know. There were, there were parts of uh, the perfect weapon that I liked because I just didn't care. I didn't give a damn about the movie. I just wanted to see some good brainless action. It was just, that's all that I needed at that time. That's it. Yeah. It was a simpler time. Yeah. It was a simpler time. I didn't need much. It was like watching Chuck Norris. You were just waiting for the big kick to come yeah, out at some right, point. Right. He puts the guns down and then it's time to do the flying kick. That's what's Yeah. What's the signature move? Yeah, because Van Damme had, besides doing the splits all the time, he would do where he would extend his leg up in the air and do the repeated kicks. Mm-hmm. And Seagal actually has a couple of signature moves too with the the Aikido moves, especially yeah. using the the momentum of his opponent, but the kind of uh, kind of that clothesline maneuver. I love that one. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I, I hope I'm capturing kind of the the feeling because it was just it was exciting at that time. Just, oh yeah, again, simpler times. All right. Well, we can move into the uh, initial thoughts segment. Nice. Yeah. So one of our initial thoughts about Above the Law. Well, I'm going to start personally with uh, just a little bit about Steven Seagal, because this is his feature film debut. And I was like, who is Steven Seagal? Steven Frederick Seagal. Uh, So, yeah, American actor, right? Screenwriter. At least his credit, yeah, a screenwriter and martial artist. And according to the little research I did here, he's actually a seventh, seventh Don black belt in Aikido. Uh, began his adult life as a martial arts instructor in Japan. And I believe this is a well-known fact. Uh, he became the first foreigner to operate an Aikido dojo in the country of Japan. Then later he moves to LA where he is in the same profession of uh, instructing martial arts. And then he gets into the movies. And yeah, Above the Law is his uh, first feature film. Uh, and also I wanted to give our listeners just a little description of the martial art of Aikido. Just so you know, it's a little bit different than uh, maybe karate or other uh, martial art forms you might be familiar with, such as jujitsu. Aikido is often translated as the way of unifying life energy or the way of harmonious spirit. And according to the founder's philosophy, the primary goal in the practice of Aikido is to overcome oneself instead of cultivating violence or aggressiveness. Aikido's fundamental principles include a few terms I can't pronounce, but movements that redirect the opponent's attack momentum. Its curriculum comprises various techniques, primarily throws and joint locks. It also includes a weapons system encompassing the Boken, Tanto, and Jo. I'm totally butchering those pronunciations. Anyway, who is this guy and what is this martial art form? And where is Sharon Stone at this time? It's 1988. She'd already done King Solomon's Mines, Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of the Gold, which was the sequel to King Solomon's Mines, right? Yes. And uh, Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. And of course, one of the best movies of all time in the universe, Action Jackson. Yes. So she did all those, you know, and and more. Those Future are only podcast. Few. Right, right. So she had done all those already. And then she is in this film, Above the Law. Yeah, after this, you know, moving into the 90s, 
because he did four films between 88 and 92, I think. And we get Hard to Kill, Marked for Death, Out for Justice. What am I missing? Am I missing something in there? I guess that's it, right? Yeah, I think you're right. In, In between that time period, obviously, he goes on to do much more. Yeah. This is another Chicago movie. Not a great Chicago movie. There's some decent shots of the L and the cityscape, but it doesn't really feel like a Chicago movie necessarily, like some of my other favorite Chicago movies. Look, I, I one of my other initial thoughts here, Seagal's actually, this being, this, this being his feature film debut, he's pretty good with the dialogue when it comes to the action scenes. The tender moments, eh, not so much. What I do appreciate, and I, I didn't quite realize, is that he's not really one for the one-liners. He does have them, but they're not quite as over the top. I, speaking of our favorite action stars, that I mean, that's what I should have mentioned before, is that what a Schwarzenegger and a Stallone and even Van Damme were quite known for, those, those cheesy one-liners that we know and love and we quote all the time. But I was trying to think about this, Bill Band. Are there like Steven Seagal quotes like one-liners that we repeat time and time again. Nothing's coming to mind right So now. that was not his forte, which I, I, I kind of like, but uh, it does crack me up because Steven Seagal, I'm just watching this and man, he's got to always be the cock of the walk, man, truly. Man about town, knows everybody, the local businesses, the families, everybody's names. He knows all the languages. He's a man for all seasons. He's <laughs> in every movie. We get... Uh, the great Henry Silva as the villain named Zagon. What a name for... Oh, yeah, that's a good one. The one word name, the one name name, Zagon. Uh, it was funny, man. I was watching this. I was getting a little hints of Ricardo Montalban in, in some moments. But, uh, man, Henry Silva, he has been around for a while. Notable film appearances include the original Ocean's Eleven, Manchurian Candidate, Johnny Cool, Sharky's Machine, and Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. Always a great bad guy. He's tall, Bill Ben. He's six foot two. Oh, okay. That. My size. Henry Silva is still kicking. He's 92 years old. Wow. Yeah. I think he was born in 28. Yeah, 1928. Hey, we get some Pam Greer as Detective Dolores Jax. Jackson in this movie. And she's easily the best thing about this movie. <laughs> ding ding that was the my initial notes yeah it's like a no-brainer she should have done it more okay here's the big initial thought bill bat this is just a showcase for seagal his fighting skills his language skills his uh this, this is his one hour and 40 minute demo reel i mean that's all look like i mentioned earlier as a kid i just wanted the cool fight scenes and i got them and i loved him now i watch this movie and like i said simply a showcase the fight scenes are very staged, meaning not, of course, they're choreographed, but meaning they don't necessarily even serve the story. They're simply and clearly there to display his fighting ability. The acting is mediocre. It attempts to relay a message about corruption in government. And I, I don't know what, but it fails just because it's just this one dude going out like vigilante style and it's reckless and ridiculous. And so that's kind of my initial thought. There's some eye candy with the fight scenes in the choreogra- uh, choreography within those fight scenes. But otherwise, the, the plot's convoluted. And I was just like, wait, what's going on? And honestly, I do not give a shit 
I just didn't give a shit most of the time. And it was just kind of like, eh, it wasn't unwatchable by any means. It was just like, all right, what's, when's the next fight scene? Is that one really cool? Yeah, that was all right. All right. And then it got to the end and I was like, oh yeah, he's just going to kill everybody here. And yeah, he does it. And it was, it was good. And now it's over. What about you, Bill Bant? What are your initial thoughts about Above the Law? Okay, so we revisit these movies before we do this podcast so we get everything fresh in our mind so we can talk about this. This movie took me four attempts to get through. <laughs> okay. I fell asleep three times watching this movie. <laughs> Amazing. And then I wake up I'm like, oh, shit. And I would start like 15 minutes before I could last remember something because... I had no idea what the hell was going on. So yeah. I was like, and I kept thinking to myself, oh, maybe it's because I fell asleep. Maybe I missed a scene. Right. And that's why I don't understand what's going on with this film. I, I had no idea who he was. Like, it, all right. So I, I get it. He's a cop, but what kind of cop? You're just preaching the truth, brother. It's the truth. And then I can tell you what kind of cop because I had to rewind it too. I had to read, like, I had to wait, go read it afterwards. Wait. Because I had no idea what he was doing. He's a tech officer with the CPD Vice Division. Come on, Bill. Do they mention that in the movie? Did yeah, I sleep through that? It is in one line. All it right. goes by really quick. But I was trying to focus on it. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's a tech officer with the Chicago Police Department in the Vice Division. Got it. So he's not CIA anymore. But he was CIA at one point in 1973 in Vietnam. Okay, that I picked up. Once I left Vietnam, I don't know, my brain must have shut down or something because then I had no idea what the hell was going on from then on. Right. He's almost like a private investigator, but I don't know. Yeah, because he's in plain clothes too, which throws it off. Because I was like, I know he's he's a cop of some kind, but it isn't. The, the line goes by really fast because it's somebody else describing, telling another character who he is. And it's like him and Pam point. Jackson, who are... I mean, <laughs> I love you said Pam Jackson. Pam Greer. Pam Greer. Dolores Jackson. Yes, sorry. This is, yes, she plays Jax, the Dolores Jackson. Uh, she plays uh, Nico's, uh, that's Steven Seagal's character, Nico's partner. And they're 30 years younger than everyone else in the department for some reason. <laughs> so I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> it's him and a bunch of geriatrics. Right. And well, they, they got to make him look good. Though. Right. Next thing you know, they're trying to blow up a priest and then they say they're going to kill a senator. And I'm like, what? What does any of this mean? I don't get this. What What does the priest have to do with the senator? Bill, should we just skip right to our Swiss cheese and blades? <laughs> I know. That is, that kidding, is kidding, I know. But, yeah. but that is on my Swiss cheese. It, my yeah, first thing, yeah. explain the plot to me because I didn't get it. And I watched this movie, like I said, trying to watch this movie four times. I got through it the fourth time. And then I had to go read what it was because it still made no sense to me. Yes, Pam Greer is the best part of the movie. Yeah. Her acting is two steps above everybody else's. It's so obvious. Yeah. Which was weird because she's like, a natural. Yeah. And like I said, Sharon Stone's in it. That poor Sharon girl. Stone does not know how to act in this movie. And well, the, and the writing didn't do right. her any service. At no. All. Uh, no chemistry whatsoever with Seagal. Horrible. Vigor and oil, the two of them. Yeah. Well, her character is just, she's just there to be upset the whole time. I had to go back and look at her credits to make sure I was like, was this her first movie? What? Yeah, it does unfortunately have that feel. 
I agree. I, I, that's why I did. I did the same thing. I had to go back to look at her credits. I'm like, I, she was working before this. Yes. But it feels as though, and she does look very young still. Mm-hmm. I was like, it feels as if though this was like a first effort. No, I just, every time she's on screen, I'm just like, she is terrible, <laughs> terrible, but it works because Seagal is terrible. <laughs> equally. They're equally terrible. And I couldn't stop focusing on Seagal's, Either because every time he talks, he he does that where he breathes twice as hard as he speaks. Right. Whisper, yeah. Yeah. It's like he's got to force all the words out of his mouth. It takes a lot of effort to yeah. protect my family. That was just blowing my mind. I thought the action sequences were okay at best. Mm-hmm. Like his hand to hand was cool. Right. But it was so awkward how it had to get into the situations that he could do the hand to hand. It was almost like, all right, you come stand near me right now so I can grab you and, and give you the clothesline shot, which is cool. It's a cool move. I love seeing it. But in order for the guy to get there, it, it just seems so staged. It was driving me up the wall. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's all. Yeah. Yeah. And just the story. I just kept thinking, it's like, did I, was I missing scenes? Is there scenes missing? I felt the exact same way. I did the same thing. I had to rewind a couple of times because I was like, okay, I missed something here. What is going on now? Who? Wait. I definitely missed something. Oh, wait, no, I did. There was just things that made no sense to me. The, the movie did actually look good. So kudos to Andrew Davis with that minuscule budget to do what he did with that. But yeah, the plot made no sense. The acting is not that great. And the action is eh, at best. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little rough. It was. I was a little disappointed. But, you know, the first time out of the gate... Sometimes isn't uh, your best showing. His subsequent films got better, in my humble opinion. Right. It did lay some groundwork. Right. And start somewhere. Yeah. You took notes. There's some of the things you got to work on. Yeah. I, I could just see I, Steven Seagal taking notes. I wanna, I, I'm sure he was great taking notes. No, I'm sure he was. I think he was the one giving all the notes. I think I should break more arms in my next film. I'm going to speak 10 languages in my next film. I got to make sure I know everybody. And where everyone is at, at all times. I want every other character to be 70 years older than me instead of 50 years older. Great stuff, man. Do we want to go right into favorite scenes and moments? Question mark. Yes. Favorite scenes and moments. Major question mark. <laughs> what do you have? Uh, so I actually do like some of the opening of this film because it's it's funny. It's just mixed with some of my complaints, too, but. I don't know why we're watching the opening of this film, to be honest, because we're getting a history of who Nico Toscani is, and he had come from Italy. I'm skipping ahead to my complaints. Regardless, what I did like is when did we get to the part when he is in Japan just demonstrating Aikido with the students? I think it's kind of cool because it's like, okay, yeah, this is just right up front in our face. We're going to show you what this martial art is, and... This is where I got a little chill because it brought me back to my childhood when I loved these types of movies that had these synth soundtracks. And I actually have the compilation CD of Steven Seagal's movie soundtracks. It's great. And they also, all the music sounds right, like the similar, but it's just like the like hero shot or introduction of Seagal as Nico Toscani when he kneels down and he's wearing his Aikido gi you know, Aikido uniform and he kneels down on the mat and his, you know, face comes into frame and it's like, 
you see the title come up like, yeah, this is what I loved as a kid. There he is. And there's some so, like some cool like slow-mo when he's with his students and he's demonstrating all the moves. So you can kind of get a feel for the technique. So I kind of thought that was cool. And I was like, yeah, no, I can study this. I can, I can do these moves now. I know what he's, I can just watch and learn this choreography by watching the beginning of Above the Law. So that was, I just wanted to mention that real quick. I just love the intro with the music. Anyway, in what I'm calling fight scene number one, this is sort of a favorite scene. This is kind of where, this is Steven's, this is what Steven Seagal does. Like I said, he's the cock of the walk, right? He, the dude is six foot four. He's got that Rico Suave feel and he's got the slick back jet black hair and he walks into a bar because the setup here is that he's just come back from, it's a baptism and then a baptismal celebration with, he's surrounded by fellow officers and fellow family members. And I don't know if it's a cousin or someone, but it's a big Italian family, but someone, it's an older family. She's like, a looks like a, She's a grandmother and she's crying. And Nico walks over to her and says, what, what's up? What's wrong? And apparently Lucia, her granddaughter, has run off again. And Nico knows probably where she went, probably to check up with this loser drug dealer junkie who resides in a like flop house type of situation on top of a bar. Above the bar. Right. <laughs> That's what it should be called. Above a bar on, I think it's like Damon Street. And this is in Chicago again. So he goes to the bar and he starts asking questions and he starts showing the picture of this girl, Lucia, and starts asking the patrons, you know, have you seen this girl? And of course, it's all these rough and gruff dudes. And there's this complete dickhead who's the bartender, who's got this weird mullet going on, who gives him some attitude. And there's some fun aspects about this because it's, again, the first time we're getting to see like Seagal really being Seagal in an action scene where he just walks into a room and everybody's going to be an asshole to him. And we just know this is, it's being laid out for you. Okay. This is where he's going to kick everybody's ass. Let's see how he does it. And of course he does the typical, I think he has a habit of doing this, or at least he does in this movie where he walks up to a guy, the guy mouths off to him and then he turns around as if he's going to walk away, but then spins around really fast and kicks the crap out of the guy. He's like, ah, gotcha. And <laughs> He's a provoker. He provoked that whole thing. Oh, completely. So he walks into this bar. Clearly, he's not welcome. Mention the shady bartender who seems to be one of like the main bad guy's goons and comes in at the finale for some reason, which I have yeah. no fucking clue why he comes back at the end. I have a theory, but regardless, one of the highlights is that we get a sweet cameo from the one and only Michael Rooker. Yes. Who has a great line. He has one line and he says, I thought this was a kosher bar. No pork allowed. <laughs> Get it? Get it? And of course, if you don't recognize, of course, Michael Rooker is very recognizable just from his appearance. He's got that face, but his voice too, man. It's just, it's great stuff. Love Michael Rooker. And I've, I've seen him a couple of times. I met him once uh, at a restaurant where I waited tables and guy couldn't have been nicer. Totally cool guy. So love seeing Michael Rooker and John C. Riley is one of the bar goers in the scene. I missed it. No, like, he's not. Is he not? Is that just, is that BS? That's BS. 
Okay, because he I was could, like, he's confirmed that he doesn't him. know why he. Yeah, I know. I saw that too. Oh, did we and talk like I about said, this, we talked about this in a different podcast, didn't we? Or no? I don't think so. Oh, maybe I heard it on a different podcast. That's funny. Anyway, keep going. You know, when I was looking through the credits, I saw his name. I'm like, what? And this was after the second time I've seen it. So I went back to watch it the third time and saw he wasn't on there. And I'm like, what? And then when I watched the fourth time, I'm like, I'm looking for him (laughs) and I cannot see him. So then I looked it up again. And yeah, there's a story that he's even done. He's like, I wasn't even acting then. I was still in school. That is not me. I don't know why that's in there. Amazing. Don't believe everything you read online. Nope. So Nico kicks the crap out of a couple of the the guests at this bar. And then a guy comes at him with a gun and he does a pretty sweet move here where he does the spin, where he grabs the guy's wrist. And it's a cool move. And this reminded me of, I remember doing a, a, God, which short was it in at the university of Miami where I actually got to learn a couple of these moves, how to disarm somebody. Oh, and I was working with duty. It was a friend, Pat duty. I got, I should have contacted him, but he could tell me, but I, there's just a cool technique that, Seagal uses here to disarm this guy of his uh, pistol and he spins him around and flips him over and grabs the gun out of his hand, of course. And uh, it did remind me a little bit of the techniques I had learned and now have long forgotten uh, for one of the student films I worked on at the University of Miami. But you get hurt, man, rehearsing that stuff. And these guys I worked with who were uh, studying the martial arts at that time, they were great with me and going over the moves but when they did the move on me and spun me around and would disarm me, that, that, that hurt. So I have respect for these guys. Anyway, there's some cool stuff, some good moves in this. I don't, I'm just trying to make the best of this, Bill Bant. I don't know what I'm doing here. Michael yeah, Rooker's are. in the scene. This is why I like that scene. Okay. I didn't like that scene because he came in. He, he provoked that whole thing. <laughs> I like this hand-to-hand. I thought that was cool. You came in here. Well, he's trying to find the girl. Right. No, I understand that. But he comes up to the first guy and literally stands right behind him and kind of taps him like, hey, pal. Yeah, he's a little aggressive. I mean, I get it. This is not a good place to be. Yeah. yeah. It's a little forceful. Yeah, he's asking for it. (laughs) He's asking for it. What's what's your one favorite moment? (laughs) I got more than one. But mine actually happens right before. So it's right after Nico leaves to go inside. And we got Pam Greer out in the car waiting. Oh, yeah. And she just knows. Oh, man, there's going to be trouble in there. <laughs> this, this guy, this dude is walking down the street and he sees her and he starts hitting on her. And she's like, yeah, back off, man, back off. She's like, oh, come on. What's wrong? What's wrong? And then she pulls out her badge. And he's like, oh, but he has this great line. It made me laugh. It's a great line. Like, hey, every hot lady cop needs a boyfriend, too. Right. And uh, that just made me laugh because it's just like he knows he's got nothing. That's the last line thing he throws off before he backs away. Right. It just made me chuckle. It was just kind of cool to see in a Hamburger worker magic there. But yeah, it's a sh- super short moment. Oh, absolutely. But that's a funny line. She definitely needed to be in this way. She's great, more. man. I agree. She, she, there's a natural delivery. I mean, she's a talented actress. Yeah. And she's got a great smile, great presence. Mm-hmm. When she's even walking around, at like at the, when she's introduced at the baptismal party, her writing's not strong. And she's got to deliver some of these lines, but she does it effortlessly. Yes. And, She's just smooth. She's a smooth customer, man. Uh, just a pleasure to, to always, you know, always to see her. And she, I believe, also elevates Seagal. She brings him up a notch. And I think she provides 
a lot or adds to the chemistry that they have as partners. Yes, because he definitely has better chemistry with her right. than with Sharon Stone. Oh, yeah, his wife. They're yeah. about an eight, and him and his wife, Sharon Stone, are about a two. Right. Like I don't believe for one second those two are married and just had a baby. But I believe yeah. him and Jackson. You would buy it if you yeah, they actually had some sparks. I mean, meaning mm-hmm. if they had some kind of romantic history, maybe even. Yes. There's a little bit of kind of flirtation right in the mm-hmm. dialogue but it, it works i don't know they kind of work together so yeah. credit to pam Greer. that's what we're saying yes so i put this as fight scene number two now this is um which fight scene is fight so, scene number two? right Sorry. yeah i know this is where i started getting confused now where did this happen again but so i was replaying the movie and i believe this is actually is this the four thugs yeah this these are salvano's thugs that pull up in the car Oh God! Go ahead. This is fantastic. Yeah, you're reaching out. You are no, no, no. Well, this is this is where I'm getting. So this is not not my favorite. I'll tell you what's my favorite scene, and it has nothing to do with the actual fight. (laughs) Okay. Because I is this? I think this is after the church bombing and Salvano. Is he looking for Salvano at that point? Yeah, yeah. He's Salvano sends some thugs after him now. Right. Okay. Because the bottom line is he is after this. Two-bit cocaine drug dealing character named Salvano. And Salvano is now involved in some heavy duty crap because he was about to do a deal where it wasn't drugs that he was picking up. He was actually doing a deal for C4 explosives, and that's some high-level shit. And the FBI gets involved and lets Salvano off. He lets him walk. And that pisses Nico right off. So Nico goes on this hunt for Salvano and a lot of other crap happens to make the plot even more convoluted than it already is. But he's looking for Salvano. And in the meantime, Salvano sends his thugs after Nico. And so these four guys pull up in this car. One of them's got a machete. Another one of them's got a bat. Uh, I think one of them might have a knife. I I don't even know. They all have, for some reason, different weapons. Yeah. And one guy's got a gun. They hop out of the car and they're all doing their like evil laugh and they say some really cheesy lines. Nico kicks the crap out of them. I'll get to the details of this fight scene in my complaints. But after that fight sequence, he chases one of the guys down and actually has one of my favorite lines in this because he chases the last remaining thug down, kicks the crap out of him and says, basically, who are you working for kind of thing? He spits out the name Silvano. And Nico says, if I find out you're lying, I'm going to come back and kill you in your kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) But we do get a little bit of a fun moment because there's this big dude. There's like, there's this big dude off to the side. Oh, yeah. With there's three African-American gentlemen hanging out with him, like smoking cigarettes. And the big dude, this big white guy, heavy set dude's like, hey, that cop over there is kicking the crap out of my friend. What the hell's going on? So he goes over and gets into Nico's face. Hey, what are you doing with my friend? And Nico's like, you know, I'm not in the mood. And he's like, fuck your mood. <laughs> Nico does the, like, it's almost, I, I don't know if it's supposed to be like reminiscent of uh, Bruce Lee's one inch punch, but he does that quick punch right to this guy's gut and knocks him out, knocks him down. Like this yeah. big, big dude. He probably hits him right in the chest where it can knock the wind out of you. That's right. probably where he hit him. That's the only thing I could think of. 
Yeah, where it's like the solar plexus or whatever. It looks like he hits him like right above his stomach, but underneath his stern, like in the sternum area or whatever. I don't know. Regardless, knocks this huge dude down. So it's kind of a funny moment or fun moment for that type of fight choreography. But here's my favorite part of the whole scene. This is the whole reason why I... (laughs) He walks by the three guys that are smoking cigarettes who are like... Yeah, screw that guy, screw that guy. And now, of course, they they change their attitudes real quick. And Nico walks up to the, these three dudes and he goes, what's happening, brother? And you hear him go, cool, peace, brother. <laughs> so that's the best part of the whole scene. It cracks me up. Uh, what else do you have for uh, favorite scenes and or moments? Favorite moment is, see, we're, we're jumping all the way near the end of the movie. Oh, yeah, so, that's my next one. Okay. There's a scene where Nico runs into his ex, like CIA boss, Nelson Fox. Right. And he, and he picks him up and they're in the parking garage. And then all of a sudden and there's this big gunfight and Nico's driving it all around. And at one point he hits Salvano with the car. Salvano? Salvano. Potato, potato. Yeah, Salvano. It's Salvano with- and Zagon. Get it right. Sorry, I kept falling asleep every time I kept saying their names. <laughs> You're going to have nightmares about this. I know. So Salvano is literally on the trunk of his car. Well, not Nico's car, but some car he took from the parking lot. Oh, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's driving backwards. It's great because Salvano is like trying to take his shoes off and throw them at Nico to distract <laughs> him from driving. I don't know what the hell is that going to do. <laughs> that was unbelievable I, I was like what is it what are you doing why are you taking your shoes off are you trying to get comfortable while you're cruising you're hanging for dear life on the back of this car what are you, what's going on and nico steve go backs the car basically through a window i don't even know or a panel and salvano just goes flying off about four stories onto the l it's hilarious because you see the car go through whatever it is in the parking garage and then you see like the little dummy that's hanging oh, on the so back. Obviously, a dummy that's just like stuck to the back of the car. And then the next shot is the stuntman fall back into the airbag. Right. But that just cracked me up. I just yeah. thought it was hilarious. That's just a memorable fact, moment. I remember when it was happening, I was like, oh, I remember this part. Because Sagal's trying to get out of the parking lot and get away, and it gets blocked off. So then he's got to go back in the parking lot, and Salvano is running after him. And he backs into Silvano and Silvano falls in the back trunk. And now he's hanging on the back. And then Sagano just finds an open area of the parking garage and just launches him right off the side. It's like, what a that was a good death. And I love it because it's so convenient after that death. And I agree with you. That's a fun moment. That's a great moment. Now the car is screwed because it's hanging off the side of the building, basically. And Nico gets out of the car. And you hit, I, this had to have been an 80-yard line. You hear it off screen. Somebody yell, hey, that's Nelson Fox's car. And so conveniently, Nico just hops into the car next to that one and starts it up. And that's Fox's car. Thank you for explaining that to me because yeah. I didn't catch that line. I'm like, oh, that's just great. He just goes in another. So he just happened to crash the car with Salvano and the hanging off the end of it right next to Nelson Fox's car, his buddy from the CIA. So he could hop into that one and take off. Which Nelson Fox should have been laying there by the car, but that's what threw me off. But that was hilarious, too, because Salvano falls off and then supposedly he lands on the L tracks. And then you see an L go through 
Right. And I was like, oh, so maybe he didn't land on the tracks. He landed in front of the tracks. It's You can't tell from the angle. Well, I don't know, because he hits it, and then you hear, like, the little... So you think he hits it. True. And then next time you see an L, like, go through, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. Did he fall to his death? Then he gets smushed by an L. Man, it's a bad death. But it's a memorable death. Poor Savannah. (laughs) So one of Steven Seagal's signature moves, it's a pretty violent one, is basically breaking someone's arm backwards. Oh, we're matching here. Yeah. So this is just a moment. It's in the final action piece where our main antagonist, Henry Silva, playing Zagon, has Nico strapped to a chair and he's trying to give him his chemical cocktail, which is like tr- sort of truth serum. We don't know what it really is. It doesn't make any sense. But uh, he's just being torturous and villainous. And of course, Nico breaks out of the straps to tie him to the chair and gets the best of the bad guys. Some people get shot with, you know, shotguns. And then, of course, he's got to take out our main baddie, that is Zagon. And he does the thing where he kind of twists him around, grabs his arm, and breaks it backwards. Like so, it's it's pretty gruesome when you see it, and it's one of those shock moments. Uh, kind of shock and awe things. So what you saw at that time, especially as a kid, it was like, oh, no, that looks like it really hurts. And, of course, it became something that we would do as a joke, as fun, us stupid film students, whenever we would choreograph our fake fights with each other. <laughs> yep. And we would do the screams and the whole thing, twist each other around, and then pretend to break each other's arms and be like, ah, and it was just funny to us and it pretty much comes from this well a lot of other Seagal movies too but uh this was uh what it was just it's a moment in a movie where a guy gets his arm broken backwards it's memorable it's kind of funny but and weird but it is it became a thing yeah because it's almost like he bends your elbow the opposite direction right yeah oh that's gotta hurt but uh my favorite moment from that moment is when he gets inject it with the cocktail mm-hmm. and he just does the eye roll back like oh, i'm super high now it's like oh that's some great acting there Seagal. this is right. amazing i really feel that you've been drugged right now and then it's, all of a sudden two seconds like yeah now he's fine because he just kicks the shit out of the other guys in right he overcomes it yeah and then a minute later succumbs to it once again as he basically yes. passes out in the lobby yeah so i guess yeah some kind of adrenaline or yeah, and that's what I don't like about that final scene. He takes those guys out in like 45 seconds. That's the whole finale. Yeah. Like, wait, what? It's a bit, it's a little flat. Very flat. It's not enough. It's way too short. Yeah. I mean, the the Henry Silva death, Zagon's death is pretty good because he breaks his arm reverse style and then snaps his neck also. <laughs> you know, it's pretty. Oh, yeah. It totally bends his back backwards and yeah. then. Bends him so much that he ends up, yeah, snapping. But it happens so quickly. You don't get see we. What film was it? There was something else where we were like, oh, we don't we don't get a, a a good fight between the hero and the antagonist and the villain. We didn't, uh, and that we don't really get one here either. No, not at all. It's lickety split. Yeah. So, well, that was it for me for favorite scenes and moments. Oh, I'm done too. All right, moving on. Hey, let's take a quick break and hear from our friends over at the Retro Movie Roundtable Podcast. Hey, do you enjoy movies? 
If so, you're going to want to check out the Retro Movie Roundtable, the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. We're inviting you to join us as we dive into beloved movies from 10 years ago and beyond. We cover every genre and every era. The show is fun and personal, but also insightful and informative. The Retro Movie Roundtable is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Please check them out over at the Retro Movie Roundtable podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now back to our show. Yeah, let's move on. Oh, wow, this is going to be appropriate. Swiss cheese and complaint department. <laughs> and why do we call it Swiss cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yes, and if it's not Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. This is my first Swiss cheese. Yeah. Just explain to me the goddamn plot. Right. Because I didn't well, understand it. So this is what I gathered. Okay. I, and like I, I said, I had my to, own I have, synopsis as well. All right, so, I had, so I had to read it too. Okay. So we see a CIA in Vietnam. Something bad went down where you really find out. Because initially he's told this is for military intelligence, but it really has to do with drugs, drug smuggling. And Nico kind of finds that out there at that point. Then we jump right, ahead to we understand that he was recruited by Nelson Fox and we see Nico and Nelson Fox in Vietnam. It's the Vietnam Cambodia border. And then uh, we see Zagon come down in a helicopter and Nico is witness to Zagon's chemical torture, trying to find out where certain drugs are and that. Yes. So Nico's like, wait, this is about drugs. I thought it was about military intelligence. Correct. And Nico interferes, kicks the crap out of everybody, and they get all pissed off. And Nelson protects them and just says, Nico, run. And that's where we get the idea that, okay, Nico's pretty much done with the CIA after that. Cut to 15 years later. Correct. So Nico's some kind of comp that I couldn't figure out what it was. He's after the niece, daughter, granddaughter, whoever the fuck she was. Right. Finds it with the boyfriend. The boyfriend says, the shipment's coming in. So I'm going to cut bait with you. I'm going to get the bigger fish. Right. Because he's part of the Chicago Police Department's vice division. Right. Which I did not know. So (laughs) then he illegally wiretaps the drug dealer. And the drug dealer says- the cocaine lawyer's office. Yeah. Where he's meeting with the thugs. Yeah. See, there you go. So you're going to fill in all these blanks for me. The shipment's coming in. They go to get the shipment thinking it's drugs- but it's C4. Right. Okay. And it's a joint operation with the CPD and the FBI. Right. Which, of course, Nico does not want that. You know, he wants all the glory on this. And, of course, the FBI kind of pseudo fucks it up. Right. But they get the C4 anyway. The next thing you know, they're at a church and there's a whole bunch of illegal immigrants (laughs) in the basement of the church. So it's like, all right. And someone tried to break into the church. I was like, okay, what does this have to do with the C4 and the drugs? Are they smuggling people in too that I don't know about? Right. It t- yeah. We get a whole new plot point. That's a complete shift from what we th- 
where we thought the plot was going. And it's, a, it's like, wow, this is a distraction. What are we doing now? What's this? Where's this going? What is this movie about? So then uh, the FBI finds out that they have to let uh, Salvano go. Well, that's yes. The FBI. Sorry to keep interrupting, but it's okay. I, I really? That's you got to You got to help right. me with this. this oh, is, okay. This good. Let's help each other. That's what we're doing. This is uh, this is collaboration. So the FBI tells Nico and the other CPD officers to back off of they have they're going to let Salvano walk because the FBI are working on a covert basically some sort of operation that they can't tell the CPD about but it involves Salvano and some other people and so they just got to let them go for now cuz they're they're even looking for a bigger fish right and okay. that pisses Nico off cuz he's like you're going to let this this uh, piece of shit drug dealer go yeah and it's C4, and I know what C4 is, you know, et cetera. So we know that much. Cut to, yes, now we have, yeah, Silvano and Isthug go to this church, and they're kind of casing the joint. And then they leave, and Nico talks to Father Gennaro, and Gennaro takes him down to the basement and shows Nico that they are basically housing all these illegal immigrants that we find out are actual refugees. And we're like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. What is this? What are we talking about here? This is 37 minutes like into the movie. And now we have refugees down here. And then after that, there's a, an actual church service. There's a mass that's being held. And we see a mysterious woman with a bag. And she puts the bag down, rushes off. And as Father Gennaro is in his procession are walking by, the, a bomb goes off. Right. Killing the priest. But then you find out that wasn't the priest they were trying to kill. Not only that, here's where it gets really confusing, Bill Bant, is that during this sequence, we're watching this mysterious woman with a bag, and we know something's up with the bag. And we're watching Father Gennaro and his procession walk by this bag that's been set down. And the camera keeps focusing on this, what looks like a businessman of some sort, a white guy with these glasses. He looks like an official of some sort. And we're like, who's this guy? And then the bomb goes off, killing Father Gennaro. And then we find out later that we're actually led to believe, we find out that the white guy, the official looking guy with the glasses, was an aide to a Senator Harrison. So he was a a Senate aide that gets killed. So what does that mean? Was the bomb meant for him? Well, no, we actually find out the bomb was meant for Father Tomasino, who was the father that brought the illegal refugees into the church, and that's where they're you know, where they're keeping them in the basement of the church. Right. I, I mean, I get it. All so, are you guys alike. lost now already? Because I am. I'm like, wait a minute. What are we doing here in this movie? And what happened to just trying to catch some drug dealers? Yes. Uh, because now we're getting to into like this conspiracy mm-hmm. where Silvano, the FBI is covering for Silvano. Silvano's involved with some some really bad people, and it goes way up into the government ranks. And now we have a bombing in a church that was meant to kill this pastor or father, Tomasino, that brought these refugees in. Okay. Yes. Okay. And then Nico kidnaps the FBI guy that was leading the raid, and he takes him to the... Like the evidence warehouse, basically. To show that the C4 is missing. Right. The, the C4, that evidence had been uh, checked out. By the CIA. By Nelson Fox, his old CIA buddy. Oh, see, I missed that too. Yeah. All right. It's easy. Trust me. 
Yeah. I, I did a lot of rewinding, my friend, as well. I'll be honest. The four times I watched it, I think I only saw that scene once. <laughs> so then you find out that Father Thomas somehow found out about the senator assassination attempt that we have no idea there's assassination right. attempt going on <laughs> yeah, that's until they like, kidnap like, Father oh, Thomas. That's what this is all about. The bad guys are trying to kill this senator because he's investigating this government corruption and by either CIA the CIA or yeah, dealing drugs with foreign countries, either Central America or otherwise. Yeah. And I think that's it. Yeah, I think pretty much. So there you go, listeners. If you you know didn't know what this movie was about, or I hope you had a it wasn't clear. It's definitely not clear now. <laughs> we probably didn't help. We apologize. But the whole thing ends up being about government agencies being corrupt. Been running drugs since the Vietnam War. Right. And they're being under the threat of being exposed for this drug trade that they've been involved with. Because the senator is going to expose them. So the plan is to use, then we get Zagon, who is going to assassinate the senator. But we don't even know how he's going to do it. We don't see how he's planning to assassinate the senator. We just, it it doesn't. Yeah, because there's a a scene at some point in the movie where there's one of those congressional hearings. And I didn't pay attention to him. What the hell is this? What's this going to do with anything? (laughs) I guess I should have paid more attention because I guess I had something to do with the plot. Yeah, but it's mostly in the background. You can't really hear what they're saying. Yeah. <sighs> Great stuff, man. This is the most complicated action film I've ever watched in my life. And it's so ineffective, though, and unimpactful because you didn't need the why did we think- just start with this or allude to it in some way instead of, I'll, I'll start with my complaints. Did you have some other Swiss cheese before we get into some of my... No, because Swiss cheese is the plot itself. So, I mean, I don't know what else, Yeah, how I could Swiss cheese anymore. Because the opening of the movie, we start on baby pictures of Steven Seagal, which are actual baby pictures of Steven Seagal. Yes. And he's doing a narration. And I'm like, oh, is this the Godfather or what? Because he's talking about being an Italian immigrant, how he was born in Palermo, Italy, and then he came to the States and how he was taught to love his country. And he does. He loves the United States. And then one day he saw an elderly uh, Asian man demonstrating Aikido, and then he decided to move to Japan. And strangely enough, a lot of this is mirrors his own life, actually, Steven Seagal's life in a way. So he moves to Japan and learns Aikido and then is recruited into the CIA and we spend the first five to 10 minutes on this stuff. And it's like, why are we, why are we doing this? Oh, that's right. Because this is just a big commercial vehicle campaign for Steven Seagal to be the next action movie star. Yes. Because what we could have been doing was really getting into more of Zagon and this, the CIA getting into the actual plot of the movie. Right. So here's, first, I love, so in Vietnam, Seagal and his slick back hairstyle, he looks like he's he, he's supposed to be 22 and he looks like he's 30 and his buddy Nelson Fox is pushing 50 yes. and uh, cut to 18 years later because it's 1988, right? They're apparently the same age. Yes. Didn't age a day. No. At least Zagon got gray hair. It's just, it cracks me up to see Seagal, especially like in his Vietnam, like camos, just looking like Steven Seagal, he just sticks out like a sore thumb. He's not even wearing like a hat or anyway. And then when it comes to the, now we're in the present and we see Nico as TAC officer, Nico Toscani, 
doing his undercover bit as a vice officer to bust Salvano at this meat market where the supposed drugs are coming in covertly hidden in an engine block. But then, of course, it turns out to be C4. Well, it's funny because you have these vice officers that are undercover as kind of these uh, workers, they're employees at the meat market, and they're wearing their white overcoats. And one of them has a hard hat on. And then they look to see that there are also federal officers there undercover. And they make a comment like, wow, it's just infested. They're obviously, you know, tell them to back off these federal officers. And I'm like, you guys stick They're They're literally wearing these giant white earpieces with the wires hanging down. I'm like, yes, you guys stick out way worse than any of the federal agents that are present there. Bottom line is I wrote this down 23 minutes in and I don't know what the fuck is going on. What is the main plot of this movie? That's what I wrote. Where, where's this going? We're way into this now. Yeah, I had an issue with that shootout, too. I thought that was kind of stupid. Oh, yeah. That's what I got next, man. Go ahead. Well, I'll just say this much. I had to rewind it because Salvano shows up with his crony, his thug, his drug buddy, and we just see the two of them. And we know Nico and his officers and then the federal agents are all there and the federal agents jump the gun. Correct. So they they blow it. They show up too soon, jump out of the car, start freeze. And of course, Salvano and his thug are spooked and they all start shooting. And then all of a sudden, all the other drug dealers are there too. I don't know where they came from, but there's a bunch of other bad guys in the background. So now we have a big old shootout and this is great because Nico ends up in an alley shooting because Salvano gets into his car with his uh, thug and they try to escape in the car. So they're driving haul and ass out of there. And they're going down an alley. Nico gets into the alley and faces off with the car coming straight at him, starts shooting at the windshield and gets hit by the car. He hit rolls right into the windshield, smashes it, somehow ends up on the roof of the car. Now, granted, this is the 80s. These are action movies. Gotta just go with it. I loved it as a kid. I didn't give a crap. It's fun. I know this is suspension of disbelief. Great. So he ends up on the roof of the car and... This is what I can't stand, though, in these movies, and it's such a trope, is when our hero is riding on the top of a vehicle traveling at very high speeds, and one of the bad guys inside the car pulls out his gun and starts shooting through the roof. Oh, yeah. How come no one in the history of film has ever been able to shoot the guy on the top of the roof? Impossible. It's impossible. Just can't do it. Can't do it. In this case, at least they ran out of bullets. But it was like, wow, he's literally on top of the car. Just shooting a few different places, you're going to hit him. Or hit the brakes. That's what I wrote next. <laughs> Just hit the freaking brakes and he'll go flying off. Uh, it's a ridiculous action sequence. None of it makes sense. I, you know, I start to think when we go back over these films, because looking at it through a younger man's eyes, it was innocent and fun in the way that I just didn't care about these details that I do now. Right. I just didn't give a crap about the placement of the vehicles, who's standing where Nico's out in the open. He would never be able to roll into a windshield and then land on the top of a car or punch through the passenger side window and choke somebody while he's on top of the car. If that car hit the brakes, he'd be going, he'd go flying off. 
it was all about suspension of disbelief. And ladies and gentlemen, this was the magic of 80s movies because a lot of this as a kid, and it, this could go for any decade where you're a child, it's just everything's magical. You just don't nitpick and you don't break it apart. And that's great. It's wonderful. And at that time, I feel like though the the filmmakers didn't give a crap either because it just doesn't make any damn sense. There's one point where uh, Silvano, yeah, he gets into the car and takes off and you see Nico head him off, but then they drive off and you see like a handful of the other officers running down the alley as if they're going to catch up with the car on foot. And we only know there's only one cop that actually can chase a car on foot and actually catch it. And that's Martin Riggs. Right. Everybody knows that. I just makes it funny because then there's the shootout when Zagon's got the priest and Nico's in there with the other member of the police force. I can't remember his name. And sure enough, two shots in, he gets shot. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I knew he was going to get shot. I was like, all right, how soon is this going to happen? Second bullet at him. He gets hit. Oh, my God. I can't believe this. <laughs> They're in close quarter rooms. I mean, somehow Nico does not get shot at all. But, yeah, the other guy, two bullets, hitting the arm already. It just made no sense to me. Yeah. It it's sense. a bit ridiculous. So, yeah, I actually then wrote, uh, now we're at 37 minutes and we have Zagon and C4 and the FBI's involvement in Salvano and Father Gennaro and illegal immigrants. And we got Nico hanging out in the church with the fam. I don't know where this is going. That's what I wrote. (laughs) So now back to like, I I talked about the fight scene with Salvano's thugs that pull up in the car and they hop out with their various weaponry. Yeah, go ahead. It's kind of, it's almost, (laughs) I think about it. It's like right out of Anchorman. Pretty much. Yeah. So I just put like thug fight scene here where we get some fancy Aikido choreography and Seagal grabs the guy with the machete and uses his momentum, still holding onto the guy's hand, holding onto the machete and cuts one of the guy's hands off. The guy that's holding the gun, he slices his hand off. Yes. And immediately that guy goes down like he's dead, I guess. Bleeds out super fast. Right. He's just gone. He's done. Okay. And then another guy comes at him with, it's not a, he doesn't have a bat. He's like, got like a pole or something, something weird. Like, I I don't even know. So he goes, so so now Seagal's got the machete and he's doing a little like machete sword fight with this other dude. And of course gets the best of him, slices him twice, slices him like on the back of the leg and then slices him on his shoulder. He's down, except there's no blood. Nope. At all. Whatsoever. That thug has the power of, of uh, he has clear clotting, super clotting. He just doesn't bleed out at all. Then there, he just tosses some other guys around. Anyway, it's just that scene is ridiculous. Again, it's fun, a little bit fun to see Seagal do his thing, but it's just, otherwise it's just, what are we doing here? We got a guy on the ground with a rubber hand in front of him bleeding out. And we got another guy who just got chopped up with a machete and he's not bleeding at all. And he's down. Oh, he then a guy comes at him with a bat. He uses that guy's momentum and throws him into a bunch of boxes. And that guy's just completely knocked out, just being thrown into a bunch of boxes. He didn't get punched. Guys, you know, put in a little extra effort here. I was like, why do you even square off? You have a bat. He has a machete. Granted, he drops the machete. He just killed the other two guys in like 30 seconds. I'm running. I'm running too. I'm running in a different direction. And speaking of which, that leads right into my next complaint. 
Go ahead. We need to get Steven Seagal some running lessons. We I was love ask talking about running. Yes. And I tell you what, this leads, I mean, right out of that fight scene, he's chasing one of the thugs. And I'm like, what's with your arms down by the side and you're, you're kind of limp-wristed and your your hands are kind of flailing about at your sides there, Steve? Can we just, can we run normal? I know you're a tall, lanky dude, but his running was still better, only slightly better than Contra number two from No Way Out, but not much. I thought some of the shots, he looked good and other ones, I was like, oh yeah, you need to go to Tom Cruise school of running. And speaking of which, I saw a wonderful video on Instagram the other day of a gentleman. I wish I could tell you who it was. I'm sure you can find it. Look it up. Google it, folks. There was a gentleman who did basically a super cut. He was doing his personal interpretation. He's like on on a path in the middle of a park and he just does it an impersonation of different celebrity runs from the movies. Oh, okay. So he'll do Tom Cruise style of running. And then he does Steven Seagal style running and like Nicholas Cage running or whomever. It's just some, and it's great. He nails it. He freaking nails it. It's hilarious. So try to find it. I wish I could tell you who the gentleman is credit to you, whomever you are out there, but you nailed it. Uh-huh. And it's just back to back. He keeps going back, you know, backing up and doing different styles of running as different celebrities. It's quite good. All right. If we can find it, we'll put it in the show notes. There you go. Oh, yeah. Then we get, okay. So we get another, I, this is another fight scene where we know that, okay, Nico is now, he's basically gone out vigilante style here because the, uh, the feds have suspended him. He's been suspended from, Chicago PD, and he had to give up his badge and his gun. But he meets up with Jax, Pam Greer, and uh, his other buddy, and they give him a little extra info. And now he's kind of like, I'm going it on my own, and I'm going to uncover this whole thing. And he pulls up in the middle of the street at some point, and we get what looked like five dudes in suits coming at him with uh, automatic weapons. Mm-hmm. And they shoot up his car. He sneaks out. And he comes at him with his gun. And these dudes have automatic weapons pointed at him. And he's just like, put your guns down. And apparently Seagal is the thug whisperer of some kind. Because these guys then put their guns down. Like, dude, no, you just shoot him. You've got the drop on him. Here's one cop with one pistol pointed at you. Four of you have machine guns. Why don't you just shoot him? Weren't you just shooting at him two seconds ago? And they all put their guns down. And one of them grows some big cojones, starts walking up to Nico saying, oh, yeah, you're just all talk, hot cop. You're not going to do anything. And Nico shoots him point blank, just blows him away, an unarmed dude. Oh, all right. I guess this is what we're doing. Now you just went your way over the line now. And then he marches the other guys into the local Indian shop. And just beats, decides to beat the shit out of him there and ruins this entire, this guy's like grocery store. There's some ridiculous shit happening in that fight scene too. Well, Nico never makes it out of the car alive. I mean, they fucking make that right. thing switch yeah. cheese. And then the fact that he says freeze. They say freeze a lot in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, listeners out there, I don't want to gloss, gloss over the fact that there's still some good fighting. And again, like we say, Seagal's got moves, man. Like as a kid, I loved it. It's like, oh yeah, this is where he kicks these guys' asses. I want to see him do it. He's going to throw this guy's head into a freezer, you know, and break some glass. 
This guy is going to flip over and he's going to do his like clothesline move. Sweet. This guy, he's going to do a joint lock with his hand and break his wrist in three places and five fingers all at once. Sweet. I still love that guy. I still love that crap. I still love it. It's just everything surrounding the scene makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I'm seeing the same thing with the thugs. I'm like, just shoot him. Just shoot him. Yeah. Why did you even stop when he says freeze? Who the hell listens to freeze? Do they even still say freeze anymore? That's got to be done with. Because even I laughed out loud in the bar scene when the guy pulls the gun on Seagal and yells freeze at him. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Just shoot him in the back. Right. Freeze. <laughs> Come on, man. You can't say freeze. Uh, yeah, that's what, Lord, he needed like another good one-liner, some kind there. This was batshit crazy to me. Like, I, I, this is where I got really confused. Okay. Because I was like, whoa, when he goes to the electronics convention, the tech convention. Oh, my God. I was like, how did we end up here? Well, I, what, what, that's what, yeah, because he sees that girl and says, what time are you here till? And then I was thinking to myself, oh, did I miss her earlier in the movie? What, yeah. Is that the I first time like, we saw her? Because it cuts to the scene where he's clearly like he's at a, some sort of convention. It's in a huge pavilion type of area or convention center. And he is simply talking to a tech guy who's wearing a lanyard and he's speaking Japanese. And I'm going, wow, this is just a blatant scene, like showcase scene to show that Steven Seagal can speak Japanese, which he can. Cool. How does it serve the story at all? He's literally have a full, like this conversation with this guy speaking Japanese. I'm going, what are we doing? Why are we showing this? And then we learn that he walks outside the building and he has a contact there who happens to be, I guess, a hacker, not a hack, a hacker. Like he yeah, but she can break into the, into, she's a information gatherer. She can get into the computer and hack the CIA files and get right. the names. Because she's going to use a computer in the middle of a showroom. Not like at a, a store. It's a it's electronic sh- showcase. So all these different companies are here. RCA, Sony. What the fuck is that computer hooked up to? <laughs> I don't know. They don't have internet back then. It had to be hardwired. Yet she can get into anything from a computer in the middle of a showcase. I, it was it was just so random. And then I didn't even know what they were looking for. And she finds these names, one of them being Nelson Fox. And Seagal says something like, and that's, there's five five assassins in town all at the same time for ex CIA. And I'm like, Oh, and then I thought back to it. I'm like, Oh, were those the guys that walked up to him in the street with the machine guns? Were those the assassins? I hope not. They were terrible assassins. I'd be a better assassin. Than those guys. Cause I was wondering who those guys were supposed to be. This is my, for my previous complaint about those guys that walked up in suits, basically or sport coats shooting at them. They seemed like they were, government guys right that were coming after him i think they were the guys at the end i would say it's the guys at the end that he kills and even quicker than he killed the four idiots right in the car i I don't know that whole scene at the the tech convention whatever was really i was like i don't even know i don't give a shit anymore at this point i'm like i don't know what we're doing i don't know what this is about whatever information you're getting right now i don't care something about a whole bunch of land they bought land i think that's all i knew Oh, yeah. Geez, I forgot about that part. What is this computer hooked up to that you can? Yeah, I love that. That's what you were thinking. And that, but it does make, it does make sense that you would, I mean, your, your line of logic, logic there, it does make sense. Yeah. What, how does it even, like, how does that work? 
Yeah, there's no internet back then. Basically, it would just be like simple things that these computers can do. I'm sorry. Even if Matthew Broderick was there, he would look at the computer like, I can't do anything with this. You know who could do something with it? What? It's Andrew McCarthy from Pretty in Pink. He could put up his whole profile no, with a very clear picture yeah. of himself. Yes. You know, he could figure something out. That's about as crazy as you get with a computer on a showcase. Oh, yeah. That I was like, what the hell? And then here we go. What the hell? <laughs> Please. How do, you, how, do you, how do you blow up the wrong priest? That makes no sense to me. Father Thomas... And I, who's the other? I don't even remember now. You had Father, there was Father Tomasino and Father Gennaro. Father Gennaro is they don't look anything alike. friend. No, they don't. You got to know your target, right? Yeah. You got to know who the mark is, what he looks like. And supposedly, Father Tomasino was supposed to be correct doing the service, and Gennaro said replaced him at the last second. But still, you would still know. You watched a whole goddamn mass. But I was just still watching that being like, it almost felt like that whole thing was out of context. Like, cause we had no idea what was going on. No. Anyway, I, speaking of father Tomasino later on, we find out that he has gone into hiding and our bad guys, our villain Zagon and his thugs have found father Tomasino and they need to know what father Tomasino knows. Cause supposedly father Tomasino has some papers that, uh, revealed the plot to assassinate Senator Harrison. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, news to me. I still didn't know how he knew that there was supposed to be an assassination plot to the senator. That made no sense to me either. Yeah. Supposedly he had some information. I actually he had, thought. He had gotten from Costa Rica or wherever he was from. It almost made it sound like one of the would-be assassins confessed to the priest and they were afraid <laughs> the priest was going to say something. But as a priest, you're not supposed to. Right, right. But I was like, wait, who confessed to the priest that they were going to kill? Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah, sure. That make yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Zagon is torturing Tomasino by giving him the chemical cocktail, like the, with the syringe, he injects him with it, the true serum, and he's sweating and he gives him some info. And then Nico and Jax and their other cop buddy, they uh I keep I, I forget his sorry I'm just saying that's Ron Dean who's a wonderful character actor and he's been yes. in a lot of things. Uh, he plays Detective Lukic. That's right. Right. So you get Jax, Lukic, and Nico storm in while Tomasino is getting tortured basically, and they save the day for two seconds. Except all the bad guys start shooting at him and they all have to run away. And my question thus is, what happens to Father Tomasino? Oh yeah, we never saw him again. Good call, man. I realize we're, this is an audio medium and the listeners can't see me at home, but I, I just keep throwing my hands up in the air and shaking my head. That's all I keep doing because I don't know what I, I don't know what the hell's going on. But yeah, yeah that was it from Father Tomasino, who was like essential to this entire plot. And after the sequence, like, did he live? What happens to him? I thought the whole point was they were there to save him. And then the gun fight just kind of pours out of that room and the cops are forced to retreat. And we don't see Father I think Thomas. Yeah. Probably Nico accidentally shot him, and they didn't want to show that. <laughs> yeah, what happened to the refugees? <laughs> right. There's no. There's really no resolution. No. With a lot of stuff here. Oh my god. All right, I'm. I'm going to do my last complaint. Yeah, I'm almost at the end here too. All right, go ahead. Keep going. Oh, no, no, please, your turn, man. Okay. This conversation made no sense. I was like, oh, what? I hope, I hope it is what I think it is. Go ahead. Is it when Nico kidnaps the FBI agent 
and start asking him about what were you doing up there with that 15 year old girl? Oh, <laughs> and I was like, wait, did I miss a scene? No, but that totally age Neely. No, you didn't. You didn't. Okay. I was like, I know exactly what. Yeah. No. I kept saying, what are you talking about? Was there a deleted scene? Yeah. Or is he making it up or what? Yeah. I thought, oh, it's like, oh, maybe he was meeting like an informant and Nico was joking about it, saying it was a 15, which very inappropriate. But I was like, oh, did I fall asleep again? Shit. What did I miss? That was so strange and bizarre. I was like, is that why you because think it, you can again? It's so it feels like it's him? yeah, or it's totally him, whatever out of context. He's doing. Yeah, there's yeah. no context. It just cuts to the scene. The scene begins and right. at home. it starts with Neely going to this car. Right, agent, okay. FBI agent Neely is going to his car. Nico shows up, and Nico's vigilante now. He's been suspended, and he's he's basically out out there in the wind. And he shows up, pointing a gun at Neely, saying. Yeah, like you said, he says to Neely, what were you doing up there with that 15-year-old girl? As if he had witnessed Neely performing some lewd act with a minor, and thus he now had something on him. So he's like, yeah, I I witnessed you doing this. So Neely, now I kind of got you over a barrel. You're going to have to take me to the evidence locker and help me get the information I need to uncover this conspiracy. And But we're going, as a viewer, we're going, wait, what? When did you see Neely do this thing with this 15-year-old girl and did it actually happen? Or are you making it up? Yep. Is it supposed to be kind of funny because you're making it up? Not funny. Not funny at all. And there were a couple of lines in this movie that I think were supposed to be funny and they weren't really. They didn't land. No. Like earlier in the film, he's making some conversation with Jax, his partner, Pam Greer. And she's they're just making conversation she says something about not eating meat and he's like no i know you eat meat i've seen you eat meat i've heard you eat meat and i'm like and she gives him this look and i'm like what is this what are we talking about (laughs) what is this supposed to be is this a sexual innuendo is this a just supposed to be funny banter it's awkward and that was what this scene between nico and agent neely was it's like why are you talking about we didn't see any evidence to what you're talking about. Anyway, no, don't need to talk about that anymore. All right. Great, great call though. Great call. Here's the conversation I want to discuss okay, briefly okay. is when Nico goes back home to his family, whom all of a sudden he gives a shit about for five minutes and has a moment at the table with his wife played by Sharon Stone. And Sharon is really concerned about Nico and, I'm calling her Sharon because I don't give a crap about her character's name. And she goes up to to Nico and she's like, because she just wants him to stay home and be done with this. It's too dangerous. And she's like, do you know why I love you? What it is that I always loved? It's pride. And I was like, what? Wait, what? Have you, has any woman in history have ever said that to a man? Like, that's what I love about you is your pride. Isn't pride your downfall? And then she does say after that, she's like, you need to let go of your pride. Basically, your pride is going to kill it, get you killed or whatever it is. It, I'm paraphrasing. But that's the line. That was an actual written line. Do you know why I love you? What it is that I always loved? It's pride. Meaning, what does that mean? Like pride as in like he takes pride in his family or pride in his job. I suppose that could be a positive quality, right? Pride but that of just lions? Is he on lions? A pride of, pride of lions. 
Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was just a weird line. I was like, oh, usually it's a man's downfall is being too proud, right? Uh, it's just a weird conversation. Poor Sharon Stone. Yeah. Every scene she's in is awful. So at the end, you know, we talked about the scene. There's the car chase in the parking garage in between Nico and Zagon. And why is Zagon palling around with two-bit criminals and bartenders? And who the hell was his uh, his like right-hand man, the red-headed dude? who's like supposedly a CIA agent, I guess, a government op of some sort. I don't remember. Operative. He didn't do shit. He gets blown away with a shotgun at the end. Yeah. Nico never like, really survived the garage thing either. Yeah, I don't know. It's like Zagon was, he could have been, it's Henry Silva. He could have been a great villain. Yes. He's Waste underused. It. Waste it. That's all I got for complaints, man. All right. So let's move on. Whew. That was a lot. Yeah, man. There's people going to have complaints about our complaints, Bill. Probably. So it's time for, hey, it's that actor. All right. In this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's, hey, it's that actor. All right, Jason, who do you got for, hey, it's that actor? I went with Joseph F. Casala. Joseph Casala, who plays Lieutenant Stroza. Did you choose the same one? That's good, though, because we went so long on cheese and complaints. No we'll, kidding. But this yeah. is like how many times in a row we've chosen the same. Yeah, we're, we're hitting a lot more than we've been missing. Go ahead. Uh, did we do the same one on the burbs? Maybe not. No, we didn't. No, we no, did. burbs right. did Okay. At least. Okay. We have. Anyway. Yeah, I had to. This guy cracks me up, man. He was hilarious. like uh, he is very recognizable and has been in some notable films. But I, you know, doesn't have much on IMDb, not just with his filmography, but any kind of background, because he has no photo on IMDb. But I wanted to know who this guy was. So I Googled him. And sure enough, there's this, I found this article written in the Chicago Sun-Times, which is more of kind of like an in-memoriam, uh, because he passed in 2015. He was 68. And I'm going to read a little bit of this. And again, he plays Lieutenant Stroza. So he's kind of like the the police commander in uh, the movie, uh, the boss of Nico and Pam Greer and et cetera, a fun character actor. And he was affectionately known by his peers as Sergeant Joe, because he was an actual Chicago police sergeant who had graduated from the Academy in 1971, served with distinction for 34 years until he retired in 2006. This guy was a real true blue Chicago cop. Yeah. Uh, it says here, fellow officers once pre- uh, presented him with a special windbreaker emblazoned with the words police sergeant and movie actor. <laughs> this is cool that this, this again, written in the Chicago Sun-Times. He was also a precursor to Clint Eastwood's iconic Dirty Harry, one of his defining characteristics on the police force, according to uh, this person, was his service weapon, a blue six-inch Smith & Wesson Magnum. Oh, cool. This is the actual guy, the guy that plays this character. This is his real life. Uh, he was, yeah, real deal. He was the real deal. He was in eight different feature films, six of which Andrew Davis directed. Andrew Davis is the director of this film. So Joseph Casella was in, I'll list them off real quick for you. Uh, he was in Code of Silence in 85, Above the Law 88, Under Siege. He was in The Fugitive, Steel Little. He was in Primal Fear and Chain Reaction. So he had these bit parts in all these movies. 
Joseph Casella playing Lieutenant Stroza. And uh, it, he's funny in this film because you can tell he's not like an actor's actor. Oh, and yeah. I, but he has this very straight, plain delivery. And I'm like, where did he find this guy? He's great. He's funny because he has such a plain delivery. I'm like, is this guy even an actor? But I, but it was almost like there was a realism to it that I liked. I knew right away. I was like, when I looked this guy up, I'm going to find out he was a cop at some point. There you go. So that was not a surprise at all. But I knew I had seen him in something else and it was driving me crazy. Yeah. And then that's when I saw, oh, okay. He was in The Fugitive. Right. I was pissed because I went to go pop in The Fugitive to watch and I couldn't find my copy. So I don't know what happened Mm. to it. But yeah, uh, not only did he act in this, he was the technical advisor also for this movie and uh, the technical advisor of the package and U.S. Marshals. So, yeah, he did uh, a little bit of Hollywood work. Because one of his lines in the movie, he's on the top of the roof before that drug deal goes down. That's the engine block that has the C4. Uh And he's watching from the roof and he's talking to one of the FBI agents describing his uh, police officers that he's in charge of. And he says, we got it done pretty good. We got guys in the front. We got a couple guys in the back sealed off pretty good. These are our best guys. I handpicked each one of them. Jackson, Lukic, Nico. They're all top shelf. They know how to do this. They've done it before. <laughs> it's like that's yeah. kind of his delivery. It's just amazing. Yes. I, love, I love all of his lines in this because it's so plain and straightforward. So yeah, R.I.P. Joseph Casella. It's great. It's great. All right, so let's move on to uh, facts and trivia. Where are some facts and trivia we have for Above the Law? Well, we're going to have to take all of these with a grain of salt. We just don't know what's true. It has been reported that Seagal was asked to make the film by his former Aikido pupil, Agent Michael Ovitz, who believed that he could make anyone a movie star. It was set and filmed in Chicago, Illinois, over 60 days between April 27th and June 26th, 1987. What do you got? So different titles for Above the Law in different countries. Yeah, right. So in Russia, the bootleg translation became Nico, which was fine. But for some reason, for following Steven Seagal movies, they became Nico 2, Nico 3, Nico 4. So Hard to Kill is Nico 2 out there in Sweet. Russia. So Why not? Might as well be. Um, in Greece, it is known as Chicago Hard. In Portugal, it is known as Nico on the margins of the law. Oh, cool. And in Taiwan, see, I would pick this up if I saw this there. Bloodmaster. Ooh. So there's some That's ominous. alternative titles to Above the Law in some of our other countries. I freaking love it. Nico 2, Nico 3. And I was like, it might as well be, like as if he plays the same character in every film. But I have to say, for Hard to Kill, that's my favorite character name of all time. Mason Storm. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Hey, uh, Henry Silva broke Steven Seagal's nose in the final fight scene. Yeah, Seagal was rushed to the hospital. The next day, Seagal was back at work. He stayed up all night icing it so that he wouldn't get a black eye. Yeah, I wrote that down, but I was like, "Ah, one of us will say it, so we're good there. Silva kicked Seagal's ass in real life. All right, so going back to our favorite computer scene. So (laughs) due to film schedule constraints, the sequences at the, I'm air quoting right now, the Chicago Summer CES, which stands for Consumer Electronics Show, were actually filmed at the November Comdex Computer Dealer Expo in Las Vegas. The film crew carried 
press credentials and pretended to be a new show filming about the products in the booth. Skipped little film permits there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at that little sneaky guys. The sword fighting sequence. Okay, this is re- in regards to the that sequence I was talking about with Salvano's thugs when he's got the machete. Uh huh. I believe. Yeah, that was staged using Steven Seagal's own martial arts students. That makes sense. After the film opened, Aikido experienced a boom worldwide. Steven Seagal's Los Angeles dojo was struggling before the movie, and afterward, it sold out all its classes. This is true. Andrew Davis, uh, the director, he wrote and directed this film after being fired during pre-production of the Arnold Schwarzenegger film, The Running Man, 1987. They fired him and then brought in um, uh, Paul Michael Glazier. The original script um, was about uh, corruption on the waterfront in San Francisco. But of course, Andrew Davis and Seagal changed the story and moved the location, as you know, to Chicago because Jason was there. And everything's going to be made in <laughs> Chicago in the 80s. Don't you know it? Steven Seagal choreographed all of the Aikido moves, apparently. Uh, before getting this part, Steven Seagal had to demonstrate his martial arts skills for the studio. He physically dominated his students, which terrified the executives. They didn't know it was staged. Yeah, I'd love that one. Yeah. That would make perfect sense. That one I, I believed because I was like, yeah, I would have done the same thing. I'm out of facts and trivia. This is funny. I alluded to this earlier because one of my complaints is that we have douchebag bartender in uh, one of the earlier scenes where Nico walks in looking for the young girl and he beats the crap out of some of the guys at the bar. And I said, yeah, this bartender shows up with Zagon at the end. And I'm like, why is he even there with Zagon? Like, why is the bartender there? Well, this doesn't make any sense. Well, in the end credits, the bartender is listed as CIA bartender. Oh. As if he was an agent all along. Okay. So he was an undercover CIA agent. Gotcha. So if you look back, you're like, oh, that's probably why he was, yeah, because he was in the police precinct when they bring Nico in in the middle middle of the night and they they suspend him. Mm -hmm. And then the the bartender shows up with Zagon at the end. And you're like, like, why is he? Because he was. Makes a lot of sense. And that concludes my contributions to fun facts and trivia. All right. So let's move on to box office. Above the Law was released on April 8th, 1988. On an estimated budget of $7.5 million, it grossed $18.9 million domestically. It debuted number eight at the box office, playing in only 350 theaters on its opening weekend, and then dropped out of the top 10 the following week. However, on its third week of release, it played in over 850 theaters and moved up to the number four spot where it stayed for two weeks and then again fell out of the top 10 four weeks later. It did okay. So then moving on to reviews, when growing up in the late 80s, we would watch Cisco and Ebert at the movies to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. The review of Above the Law was split. Roger found the movie to contain 50% more plot than it needed, but found it slick, stylish, and ambitious with great casting to give the film some realism among Seagal's fantasy character. Gene found Seagal's character not very interesting and too heroic, and the plot was way too much and needed to be toned down to a simpler story. All right. So that brings us to additional thoughts and questions. We have any additional thoughts and questions about above the law. I got a few real quick. Go ahead. I used to love watching SNL, but if I 
for any reason grew tired of SNL, I would turn on Mad TV. And I am a fan of Mad TV. And I'm a big fan of Will Sasso. And you can find this on YouTube. Look it up. Will Sasso doing his impersonation of Steven Seagal is amazing. It's freaking hilarious. Check it out. I just watched a quick one before we started recording where he's basically in a cafe and he's dressed all in black, of course, with the hair slicked back and he does the whispery voice and he's squinting his eyes a bit. And he's just talking about how much he loves America. And he just kind of repeats the words over and over again. And then out of the blue, he sees somebody stealing uh, sweet and low from the table across from him. And he walks up and he just gets <laughs> threatening. And then he just goes into a whole tirade and loses his temper. And he just kicks the crap out of everybody in the cafe for no reason <laughs> at all. He just beats the shit out of them. <laughs> it's just really funny. One guy just grabs his head and starts slamming it into the table. He's kicking people. He's throwing them across the, the cafe uh, and like picks up one guy and slides them all the way across the counter that you see at the time in the movies. He knocks everything off the counter. Uh, Will Sasso is Steven Seagal. Hilarious. He's in several sketches doing that impersonation. Great stuff. This was my other additional thought, and this is kind of a bummer, but I can say I am officially no longer a fan of Steven Seagal. I'm a fan of, I should, let me rephrase that. I'm just not a fan of of the man, I guess. I, I, I like some of his films. They have some entertainment value for sure. Uh, don't get me wrong. They have their place, uh, uh, especially, you know, in my childhood and coming up through my teens and even into college. But uh, I, I think it's safe to say he's a problematic dude. You can find this in the research and we don't need to delve into it too deep here. Unfortunately, there were several allegations and lawsuits concerning sexual harassment, and misconduct against him. Uh, he's been accused of hitting stuntmen and uh, several occasions. And uh, it's pretty well documented. He's got an enormous ego. And uh, one of the most famous things, unfortunately, uh, was his appearance on Saturday Night Live. Speaking of which, Lorne Michaels of Saturday Night Live has called him the worst host ever. <laughs> so this isn't a big surprise to a lot of you out there. But uh, yeah, just, again, a bit of a problematic guy. So that was just a thought I had. I really haven't followed his career that much. and don't know about him. I just... Watched his early films, and then when he started getting the ridiculous crap, I kind of chewed him out. Yeah, you know, if the, yeah, for me, it was honestly, uh, like I mentioned, the three-word title movies up to, it, I'll never forget, when I saw on Deadly Ground in the theater, and he does like a big monologue about uh, saving the planet, basically. That's when he was in his, uh, that phase being one with nature and all very good, positive things, but he just, the, that movie took kind of a left turn. It was not effective, not a successful film on a lot of different levels. That's where I kind of got turned off to his movies. And then, yeah, most then now all of them kind of go straight to video. And I, I did turn on one recently just to see what he's up to now to kind of see how effective the film was. And it's wasn't good, but wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen either. Gotcha. Just not really interested. But yeah, that brief run, Hard to Kill, was my favorite. Nah, I don't remember that one either. I haven't watched in a while. But uh, yeah, as far as, uh, did you have some thoughts? I've got a, just the one question, which I just answered, <laughs> which is, what's your favorite Seagal movie? Uh, yeah, I would have to say Under Siege. Uh, that's probably the only one I, I can remember anything about. Yeah, 
Tommy Lee Jones, man. Uh, Crazy Gary Busey. That's a fun one. Andrew Davis directed that one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for me, it was hard to kill because you get uh, Mason Storm as his character. Because he goes into a coma and then he comes out of the coma and he's got to remember everything. Oh, and yeah. Kelly, yeah. It's coming back and, to uh, Kelly LeBrock. Yes. Is the girl. And I was like, yeah. And I didn't, they were together for a while. I was going right? to ask that. Yeah. I thought they were together yeah. for a while. And William Sadler is the bad guy. Oh, okay. Love me some William Sadler. And he's got the line, you can take that to the bank. I used to say that all the time. Oh, see, I don't remember that either. Yeah. And then uh, Seagal comes right back at him with it at the end. You could take this to the bank. Anyway, or you could take that to the bank. Somebody's going to get mad at me if I screw up the quote. I probably did. So I apologize. Uh, but yeah, that's all I got. Do you have any other deep questions, thoughts, man, about Above the Law from 1988? No, I think I think we've spoken enough on this movie, to be honest. I think we should just move on to let's our recommendations. Yeah, let's move on to recommendations. All right. Is there any reason you would recommend this movie to anybody? Let's just no. let's just put it out there. No. I would have to say this is now officially the worst movie we've covered on this podcast. <laughs> wow. All right. I would watch... Children of the Corn before I'd watch this one again. Yes. Peter Horton. I can remember his name now. Yeah, now we can. Yeah. Side out. Yep. Let's talk about any movies besides this one. <laughs> Let's just start shouting random shit. Yeah, man. I, I understand your take. This is not a good movie. You know, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a score of 47%. And when I saw that initially, I think I caught that actually before I watched the movie again. And I was then afterward, I was like, oh, yeah, that's about right. So, yeah, my recommendation is to watch either Hard to Kill, Mark for Death, Out for Justice, or Under Siege. I actually enjoy Executive Decision. Seagal's only in it in the first 45 minutes. Okay. Those are the the Seagal movies you should watch if you're going to watch. This one, you can skip. That's all I got. I agree. And there was talk they were trying to do a sequel, too. Really? I didn't see that. I'll be skipping that one. Okay, so yeah, I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Next week, we'll be discussing E.T. the Extraterrestrial, starring Henry (laughs) Thomas and Drew Barrymore. What a change here. So directed by Steven Spielberg, this movie is celebrating its 40th anniversary this month. Woo! Um, a quick request from us here at the All 80s Movies Podcast. Please take the time to subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. Those subscribes and reviews really help us to continue producing the show. If you want to reach out, you can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook Meta at All80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, Wormbolt. <laughs>